Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to Godsplaining. This is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. Today, I am here with our very own Father Gregory Pine. Father Gregory, how you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Um, what's up? I mean, this week we celebrated Divine Mercy Sunday, yes. which was exciting. I was at the, the aforementioned English-speaking Paris in Paris. <laughs> Definitely wasn't in Paris because that border's closed. Um, I was at the English-speaking Parish, just struggling over here, uh, in Bern, and uh, it was great. People were pumped about praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet as was I. Together we were pumped, although we had some time constraints because they were having First Holy Communion afterwards, um, which was sweet. There was like a, a big squad of kids who were just, uh, yeah, really pumped to receive our Lord, and they were wearing, like, regalia that I have not seen in the United States. So. What does that mean? Local customs, man. Just just picking them up. What's, How about you? What regalia? What, what, do you, what does that mean, regalia? I mean, they had, like, crowns, like, woven out of mountain flowers. Oh. So it was like a, it was like a scene out of The Sound of Music, uh, although I don't really recall there being a scene like that in The Sound of Music, but it's something that you could picture being in The Sound of Music. Um, so it seemed very like Edelweissy, and I was like, wow, look at these guys. They've all got, you know, white outfits, but they also have some serious local flair going that's on cool. in a way that's it's very cool. So, yeah, and then there's one little girl who was blind who had her um, her seeing eye dog. So the procession was like... I was like, this procession is ready to go. Um, Divine Mercy Sunday, baby. Let's kick nice. it. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we had, let's see, this past weekend, we had our last vocation weekend here at the House of Studies for, for the academic year. There was no Edelweiss wreaths, thank God. That would have been a bit of an issue for like <laughs> men in their early 20s wearing flower wreaths on their head. That would have uh, would have been a nice little conversation that I would have had to have with, you know, that's not going to fly. But uh, yeah, so we had that. And now that it's like mid-April, I guess we're starting to think about the end of the semester and ordination and mm. summer and mm. all of that. So that's kind of it. It's gotten warm here. There have been some days like in the mid-80s already here in D.C. So it's nice and balmy already. So the swamp is back. And uh, yeah, it's it snowed here this morning. Mm. Um so it's cooler here. It's in the different. 60s today, I think. But we had we had a few days. It was like, whew, it is warm. So, uh, but yeah, that, that's that. Father Patrick actually was in town for this vocation weekend, so it was good to to see him. We re, we uh, recorded an episode of Godsplaining. I forgot which one. Oh, it was a upcoming guestplaining episode. And uh, because of the new setup here in my office, he was using my office, my other desk in my office. So he was sitting where I usually sit and then I was sitting here <laughs> and we were just, and because again, we can't work a mixer, so we can't <laughs> record in the same room, <laughs> you know, so that's, was a, he being blinded uh, by no, the, uh, it wasn't the mid afternoon. So the no, no, he, oh, okay. he, he was spared such a angelic fate. So, um, mm, yeah, God bless, but less about us, more about not us. Yeah. So today Exactly. Back, we're out of, I guess we're still in the East, we are still in the Easter season, but out of the octave and all of that. So we finished with our Back to Virtue series through Lent. So we're back to just normal rando episodes. And the first normal rando episode, I think, right, the first one that we're back to, where we, we're going to talk today about um, the laity, the lay vocation. What does the lay person 
Um, who is the lady? Who is the lady? Who are the lady? Can we talk about is in the singular sense? We can, I think. Who is the lady? What is the lady? We've talked about the priesthood. We've had episodes on the priesthood, on the male priesthood. We talk about religious life um, in various contexts. I don't know if we've had just an episode devoted to that, but being religious, that's something that comes up. Um, but something that we really haven't spoken about in a sort of exclusive way or given um, attention to is the role of the lady in the church. So we thought that would be something good for us to cover because I think the majority of our listeners are neither priests nor religious, but the laity. So here's to you guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, Cheers. that's right. So a uh, question, I guess that that should be posed uh, is what is the lady? How does the church understand the lady? And then we'll talk about that. And then also, how does the lady pursue their the Christian life, the life of holiness, the pursuit of holiness, where, where does this kind of come from? So, Father Gregory, set us up here. Um, what, I guess, what is it? What is the lady by definition? We know it's the people that make up the church, but how does the church actually view and talk about, talk about the, the lay state? Yeah, I think, um, so the class that we took that reflected most or most deeply on the lay state was ecclesiology which is the study of the life of the church. So that'd be the place where you would typically kind of make some distinctions and formulate some definitions. And um, the document of the Second Vatican Council that we read, uh, Lumen Gentium, certainly does just that. And the document actually gets into it pretty shortly after it begins. So you have like some opening paragraphs about the Most Blessed Trinity. And then you talk about some images of the church, like the Bride of Christ and things like that. And then you go into this question of like, what is the church or where is the church or how do you identify the church? Um, and then you start talking about the priesthood, but it's fascinating that it doesn't go straight for like the ministerial priesthood. It actually starts with the common priesthood, which, which we might otherwise say is the priesthood of all believers. Um, and sometimes people hear that and they're like, wow, are those guys talking about Lutheranism? It's like, no, that's actually, you know, very much. Catholic teaching, it's something that's rooted in our tradition, that all of us have a share in Christ's priesthood, or all of us participate uh, his his priestly character in some way. And this happens, you know, just by baptism. So I think, like, when we talk about the lay state, we're talking about the simply baptized. Um, oftentimes, when you define the laity, you define it by, you know, opposition to something else, like they're not priests. Um, I think I like I like the term simply baptized. So so all of us are baptized <laughs> into the lay state, and um, out of that lay state or out of the the state of the simply baptized, you know, priests are called and religious are called, though they remain in a certain sense lay persons. Um, so when we're talking about the lady, we're talking about those who are members of the church who have been incorporated in the church by baptism. And at baptism, you have a baptismal character or that that indelible mark on your heart. And um, that makes you a share in the priesthood of Christ. And basically, as a share in the priesthood of Christ, you can offer up the sacrifice of your life to God. Um, you are a worshiper. You are a Christian. Uh, and as a result, you can receive those divine gifts, which the Lord, the great high priest, mediates to his church, you know, foremost of which are the sacraments. So I think that, like, yeah, maybe rather than starting with a negative definition, laity are not priests, uh, that we talk about the laity are those who are called by baptism or in baptism to participate in the fullness of the life of the church of Christ, which church subsists in the Catholic church to use some sneaky language there from that same document, Lumen Gentium. So yeah, I think that's 
that's a basic or maybe rough outline? Yeah, I think in comparing or in talking about the vocations of, of and perhaps this is a different question, but related all the same, but in talking about the vocations or states of life in the church, if we're talking about priesthood, religious life, married life, um, all of those, it's important to realize that, that um, the, the sort of origin or genesis is not from sort of as Father Gregory was saying, that like you have the priesthood and then you have other things that aren't the priesthood. It's kind of just the opposite, that you have the baptized, the laity, and from the baptized, people are called to specific vocations in the church. So that commonality that is, that, that is, um, that is there is even shared by priests, religious, married, and, and the rest in the church. And, and that commonality is, is, that, um, is that baptism, is that uh, we are yeah, baptized into one church, and then we serve different functions or that sort of thing in the church. Not just in a, a sort of different, not just in a way that's different by function. There are things that are ontologically different. Um, things, you know, a priest is, has a character that's bestowed at holy orders, but he's called from um, from amongst the baptized. So I think that's, yeah, that's an important important point to make. So if we have this this sense of, the lady Lumen Gentium, as Father Gregory was saying, if you're looking, if you want to look it up, Lumen Gentium is the document in the the pair, the chapter on the ladies, the chapter four in that document from the Second Vatican Council. Um, Lumen Gentium characterizes the 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 lady or defines the lady um, by their by their secular nature. Um, it says that they that lady live a secular nature and a life and and live a life in what it calls ordinary circumstances of of family and social life. Um, so according to the church, according to the Second Vatican Council, the laity are those um, those Christian faithful who don't live um, or who live lives in the world. And I think this is uh, an important reality because it, if we compare it to, uh, if we compare the life of the laity to that of, the pre of priests and of religious, we can see kind of the fullness of the evangelical power of the church and uh, the evangelical, um, I don't know, reach, I guess, of the church. And I think that as Father Gregory was saying, those those characteristics that we all share and in virtue of our baptism of, of Christ's priesthood as priest, prophet, and king, the three munera or the three gifts, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. But we can see how those gifts, those priest, Christ as priest, prophet, and king, that all of us baptized share in those um, offices, uh, but the laity do so in a particular way. Um, so let's let's talk about those, I think. Let's because I think that's you know the crux of the the lay the lay vocation is is still built around these. So let's talk about those and then in themselves with respect to Christ, and then maybe with respect to to how how we live them um, in the church. Yeah, maybe we can start with just priesthood. So we gave that kind of rough sketch or rough introduction at the outset, uh, but I think that just on a practical level, sometimes it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense what it means to offer up your life as a sacrifice you know certainly when when bad things happen to you and people tell you to offer it up <laughs> your first inclination isn't so much to be like yeah that's a great idea i'll offer it up your first inclination is like number one what does that mean and number two why do i want to punch you so much um so i think just to kind of have a better sense of what it means to make a sacrifice of one's life so first what is a sacrifice uh, the way that St. Thomas talks about a sacrifice, he says, you got a victim, right? Like a host, something that you're going to offer, and then you change it, all right? Maybe uh, you change it to such an extent that it no longer exists, right? So in the, the case of a Holocaust offering, that whole host, that whole victim is burned up on the altar. So that'd be, you know, everything, you know, flesh, blood, fat, yada, yada. So it all goes to God. 
And I think um, when we talk about offering up our lives, we mean referring ourselves to God. You know, you think about the double love commandment um, to love God with one's whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself. Um, so, like when we talk about offering up the sacrifice of our lives, we're talking about offering up all of our acts of intellect and will, all of our passions, all of our thoughts, words, and deeds, offering them to the Lord as their end. Um, because that's what it means to be perfect as our heavenly father. Perfect is perfect as we hear in, you know, Matthew five. Um, but, but that has like a, a specifically Christian character in the midst of the world. So for a lay person, okay. Um, a lay person is consecrated by baptism, but consecrated in a different way than priests and religious. So a priest by virtue of his ordination is kind of set apart in the sense that like, uh, when you consecrate a chalice, right, you wouldn't use it for ordinary meals. You would only ever use it for the practice of the sacred liturgy. So too with a priest, in a certain sense, he's become like a liturgical man. And so he's supposed to live uh, in that register. All right. So he's supposed to kind of like be close to the altar. And then you can make a similar kind of description with respect to religious life, but we don't need to tarry over that. When we talk about... Um, you know, the consecration of a, of a baptized person, a lay person. We're talking about a consecration that's actually intended for making holiness manifest in the world. So it's, like you said, like that, that word secular. I think we have negative associations with secular for good reasons because we think about secularization or secularism, which is kind of um, pushing back against religiosity. It's saying, like, there's no room for faith in the public square. There's no room for faith in these kind of matters of private practice. Um, but what the baptized person... Uh, does by making a sacrifice of his or her life is uh, make manifest their baptismal graces in such a way as to transform the world. So you have the sense that like, okay, we are made for the offering of our lives and in offering our lives, we actually make the world holy. That's true of lay persons. Um, so what does that mean in like a really, really practical way? Well, it means that like, um, yeah, if something bad happens to you, you, you suffer it in a different way than an ordinary person. All right, so like you're caught in traffic. I mean, there's no real traffic in COVID tide, but say theoretically you're caught in traffic or you're in a line, all right? Or you're waiting on the phone, which does happen in COVID tide. Um, and you have to endure like terrible hold music. You know, it's like the same little smooth jazz hymn from like XM watercolor station. And you're like, I am angry, right? But in that moment, you can actually be in love with, in friendship with, in intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ, that moment can be shared with him and born by him and born by him in you in such a way as to like make the world holy so that when the other person actually picks up, you're not like, I'm going to find you and I'm going to make your life painful. Instead, you're like, hey, what a delight. I get to talk to somebody on the phone and maybe we can have a cheer, a cheerful encounter. I mean, it's not just about like put on a happy face and be annoying, right? All right. I should probably reel in the images, but that's the basic idea that you're offering, um, the sacrifice of your life in the world. So as to make this age holy. Yep. And it's not just the, the, the sort of sufferings that we offer either. Um, though those are perhaps more ready examples that we can, um, unite our sufferings to, to that of Christ on the cross, but even, even the sort of routine, um, the routine and normal day in and day out of our family life, of our social life, of our work life, um, and even the good things too, to, you know, to be offered to, to redound to the glory of God in a sort of priestly way, um, because the, the Christian people are 
uh, a priestly people, as Father Gregory was saying, were baptized into Christ himself, who was the great high priest. Um, so in virtue of that, we're able to, we're able to unite the sufferings, the humdrum, the daily drudgery routine, and also the good and beautiful things of our lives. Um, I think that's a good place to take a break because uh, we're coming up to break time and we have two more to look at. We looked at priestly, the priestly nature, but also we'll look at the prophetic and the kingly, kingly, I think that's the word that I want to use, and uh, gifts that we're baptized into uh, that the laity share in. And then perhaps we'll look at a little bit of, Father Gregory gave some concrete examples, but I think that the idea of, you know, that secular nature, that living in the world, we relate that to the church towards the end and more more practical advice of how do, how do we live out those priestly, prophetic, and kingly roles of, of the baptized. So we'll look at those when we come back. Uh, so stay tuned for just a minute, and we will return. You are listening to Godsplaining. Visit us at godsplaining.org to listen to our episodes, shop our store, and donate to our podcast. All gifts go to improving the podcast and bringing the gospel to more listeners. Thanks for your support. Welcome back to God's Plating. This is Father Jacob Bertrand, and I'm with Father Gregory. Today, we're talking about the lay vocation. And at the, for the first half of the episode, we talked a bit about uh, how the, the laity are situated in the church, uh, the foundational reality of our baptism, uh, from which... Uh, from the lady from which uh, the other vocations are are called, but um, giving we've given attention to those to those gifts uh, we call them the munera of Christ his his priestly prophetic and kingly roles and identity that we share in um, in virtue of our baptism. So just before the break, we were talking about the priestly role, our ability to to offer sacrifice, which is the primary duty of the priest in the old covenant and in the new covenant to offer sacrifice on behalf of the people to God and how the laity, how you all are able to participate in that. So we'll look at the prophetic and the kingly roles of Christ and and then our ability to do that. And um, we, we may think prophetic, what does that mean? Are we all prophets? Well, in a sense, yes. Um, when we talk about the prophetic role of, of Christ and the prophetic uh, gift that we share then in virtue of our baptism, we're talking about a sort of teaching role, a teaching of the truths of the faith. Um, so we, we sort of I wouldn't say prophesy in the sense of, we don't want to think prophecy, prophecy here in the sense of like telling the future, but in the sense of teaching the truth and the, you know, the good news of the gospel. Um, in, in as much as Christ is the fulfillment of all prophecy and the the great teacher of of himself and revelator, I like that word, the revelator of the Father, that we, in virtue of our baptism, participate in that. So, uh, Father Gregory, as far as, you know, living out that for for the in 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 the lives of of the believers of believers, um, how does that work? What does that mean? Do we all have to like have teaching jobs and like teach theology and scripture? Maybe, maybe <laughs> yeah, not. No, certainly not. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that this basic idea is like you know you yourself are um, are made to have a contemplative life. Not to say that like you should be like. Saint Teresa of Avila getting transverberated—that's a sweet word. Um, I don't know what you know, that just kind of getting like shot through the heart with arrows of 
divine love on a daily basis as as pictured by Bernini and that kind of wild statue in Rome. Um, but it's to say that, you know, we should be on the lookout for the Lord. So we should have these contemplative habits of mind and heart so that we can attend to him well in prayer and in study. That doesn't mean you have to be smart to be Christian. You certainly don't. And oftentimes smarts can be a stumbling block, right? They can be an occasion of pride. But we, we all have to have the desire to, to learn, right? To be disciples because disciple comes from discipline and discipline comes from teaching. So we need to be taught. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what's at stake when our prayer lives and our lives of sacramental grace and our lives of you know studying the faith. And that equips us, right? It empowers us, it emboldens us to go forth and make manifest the Lord. Um, so in you know one of Peter's letters, we hear that we're to, to give a reason for our hope, right? There's a kind of expectation that you should testify. So when somebody asks you like, why do you live as you live? The reason should be, I have all my eggs in the Jesus basket. And um, if this basket doesn't hold eggs, then we've got ourselves a serious problem. You know, like my faith is in vain and my preaching is in vain. So with the kind of character of our lives, we testify to the fact that, that we live differently. And this can be like simple, silly stuff. You know, we're like, um, yeah, like the friend who uses websites to watch free movies rather than pay for them. And um, yeah, you could be like over that friend's house and he's like scrolling through different things. And just trying to find a free way to watch a movie. And you're like, oh, it's no big deal. You can just sign into my Amazon account and I'll pay for it. And it's not like a judgy thing. It's just like, yeah, I'll just pay for it. It's not a big deal. You know, because as a Christian, you're like, I would, I would rather buy a thing than sin. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be like you saying to the other person, like, how dare you pirate material from the internet? You know, especially since you would sound then like a 19th century novel character. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's this idea that like, because we are who we are, we live differently and we make that manifest, we make that known such that the world remarks, whoa, you know, like what exactly is going on here? So that may be, you know, like kind of formalish preaching or teaching, but oftentimes it's just, it's just the simple witness of a Christian life. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that, um, one of the, uh, one of the ways in which, um, I kind of think of those who have influenced my life or those who have, um, yeah, bore witness to the gospel in my life and hopefully have contributed to like the good things that, um, uh, that are part of me and not the bad things that are part of me, but is often is, has less to do often with the words that, you know, I don't, with the words that they've said, I, I don't have like a list of Confucian kind of sayings from the important people in my life. I remember things they said, but you know, it, it's more about the way in which they lived and, um, how they, yeah, bore witness to a life of virtue and a life after Christ and these kind of things. So I think that's, that's something that we all can, can take up and be mindful of that. Um, what we do often redounds, um, in ways that we are, can be unaware of, um, but that the Christian witness and in, in the way in which we live can be can be quite powerful. Can be can have um, some pretty serious effects in our little niche of the world in which we find ourselves. So we have the priest offer sacrifices. We have the prophet witness to to Christ, but we also have the king, Christ the king. Um, and this is something that this image I really. I don't know, of the three, I guess I'm a priest, so like priestly might speak out, but priests kind of live all the same. But the kingly kingly one is is the kingly gift, I think, is one that, that really gets me. I like it. I don't know. Um, and not because I want like a, you know, a big like crown and like a scepter, but because if we think about our lives in relation to, um, in relation to dominion, 
versus slavery. Um, I think the kingly role ought to, in some ways, kind of um, be one that we strive to live for better because we're not talking about kingship as something that we get to lord over somebody, but kingship over our over ourselves, over you know the mastery over 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 ourselves, growth and virtue and these sort of things, but also kingship over our over our kingdom, as it were, whether that be, um, you know, the father of a family or the mother um, of a family over her children, over his children, over the family unit, whether that be over a job that we have um, to, to rule well, to live well, to exercise our responsibilities well, or whether that be just within our very own kind of makeup to, to exercise the virtues well and to be a good gentleman or a good woman and, and these sort of things. So um, Christ obviously is, is the great the great king, king of the universe. Um, he's also king of our hearts and king of, king of our lives. So I'll throw it back to Father Gregory for the third and final time here with the third and final of these gifts of to flesh that out a little bit to give a little a little more to that. Yeah, yeah, I think like, yeah, just that I, the idea that or the notion that you mentioned of ordering, um, you know, God made things in an orderly way. When you think about the first creation account in Genesis one, and certainly the first man and woman were made in an orderly fashion with their minds subordinated to God and with their, you know, lower powers subordinated to their higher powers, you know, their passion subordinated to intellect and will, their body subordinated to their soul. And then when one sins, right, one introduces disorder into that arrangement. Um, and part of our, you know, like ordering of our lives, like you said, is living a life of virtue, which, which reintegrates the human person and reinstates that order. But that order resonates uh, you know, beyond the individual, like you said, especially in family life. Um, but beyond that, you know, like you can think about how it works in other intermediate institutions, like in the state, um, it matters, you know, that a politician or a legislator or a judge is Christian, you know, in a certain sense, we have these very, um, state sensibilities as Americans regarding separation of church and state, but that what, what one does even in secular affairs, like one's baptism is operative in that. And you give glory to God by the way in which you order those mundane, or maybe, you know, exalted tasks at hand. Um, so I think that, uh, yeah, that's, it's a partaking that we have in God's creative act and in Christ's recreative act that we can, you know, bring all things as it were, restore all things in Christ unto the glory of God, which is, yeah, like you said, it's, it's a cool thing. It's a thing that merits, merits awe, merits consideration. Yeah, one of the I think that idea of all things, restoring all things, bringing all things, living all things such that they were down to the glory of God and to our own sanctification is is um, is a great, I don't know, point fundamental reality of the church. And one of the problems, one of the issues that the church has experienced over, I don't know, we can always it's like the, the Second Vatican Council is a great, you know, whipping boy of all problems in the church. And perhaps maybe there are some issues that have arisen for from that and other sort of factors over the last 50 years. But one of the things that has, um, I think, in the quote unquote spirit of Vatican II been sort of abused is is the sort of clericalization, we could say, of the laity, that um, the laity has, has been given or, yeah, has been given in roles in the church that kind of... Um, pertain to the religious or to the priest. Uh, and there's, there's been confusion and conflation there. Um, and 
what that really, you know, that that whole reality, kind of those politics and and sort of historical facts set aside, we can just look at one one downside of that in in this conversation. And the downside of that is that as um, the laity, as the church expresses in Lumen Gentium, there they have these roles. You all have these roles of of these priestly, prophetic, and kingly roles that are supposed to be working for the for the sanctification of the world but in in a secular realm where clerics aren't you know we're as a priest i don't go out into the world every day into a job i don't have a family i don't i'm not in charge of a household and these sorts of things and when we i think when the when the sort of proper division and attention is not given to these things suffer so when when you know the if it were the case that the laity were taking over you know the worship and, and the sanctuary well who is who is sanctifying the world out there? You know, who is stepping in to sanctify the workplace, to sanctify, to bring Christ into the family? So there, there's, I think there's, we were talking about order, right? With the kingly, kingly dimension. I think there's a great beauty and wisdom to the ordering of these things for the proclamation of the gospel. Um, that each, as St. Paul talks about, each having their own role, um, that, that the head can't do what the hand does and the hands can't do what the feet does. But one, there's this beautiful ordering to the, the propagation of the gospel in the world. And um, in, in a sense, we have our important roles to play um, in all of that and that are appropriate to our state in life. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what I think about it. Yeah. No, just like... Um kind of piggybacking off on that or extending some of those insights. I think that there may be like a little bit of an anxiety on the part of the lay faithful that, um, that they haven't been given enough to be great saints. Because when you look at like, who are the saints that are ordinarily canonized? Oftentimes they're religious, you know, in some cases they're, they're diocesan priests, but it seems rare that, that lay persons are, are raised to the altars. You know, we have the example recently of St. Therese's parents, but I mean, that's a peculiar family. Um, Right. So I think that maybe uh, subsequent to the Second Vatican Council, there was a bigger push, you know, like you said, towards the clericalization of the laity, because there was the sense that like the laity should adopt more priestly tasks um, because, you know, like that's where that's where the holiness is at, you know, and being priests or in being religious, as it were. But I think that one of the great things from the Second Vatican Council that remains is yet to be appropriated in kind of mind is this idea of the universal call to holiness, um, that the, you know, like the faithful of whatever rank or state are called to the perfection of Christian charity and that that call is efficacious, right? So the Lord desires that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And we can rely upon the Lord to give us what we need, um, to be, to be holy in the state to which he calls us. So it's not as like, you know, those who are strong are called to the higher states and those who are of a second tier, um, you know, are kind of like as a concession to their weakness are permitted to be married or something like that. That's not it. God calls people to different states of life to glorify him in different ways, to make manifest different divine attributes and different divine excellences and to build up the church in different ways. And so like, you know, when you think about it in terms of mission, this idea of like making the secular world holy is, is a properly lay task. And so you can think of like lay persons as kind of on the peripheries, as it's sometimes said, or, you know, you think about them making like skirmishes or sorties from their military camp. And the priests are more so concerned with, you know, kind of like camp maintenance, as it were. That's not to say that priests and religious aren't missionaries. Many of them are. Um, and many of them did so in very holy and excellent and awesome fashion. But if you think about just the ordinary setting of like the town or the city where you live, 
like you are a missionary by virtue of the fact that you're baptized, by virtue of the fact that you are confirmed. And priests are called to fortify you by teaching you, by preaching to you, by providing you with the sacraments, by building you up in that mission, right? Um, so that you can do what you are called to distinctly and excellently, right? And so one need feel no disappointment, um, you know, that, you know, that he's not a priest because what God gives you is, is more than sufficient. It's good. It's excellent, and it makes his makes his glory present, makes his glory known in a way that only you are suited to do. Um, so yeah, I mean, like we hear things certainly preach from the pulpits about you know religious life is a is an objectively higher state. That is true, but it's not like by virtue of the fact that one is a religious, one is objectively better. That's not it. It's like the religious life offers perfect means, right? Poverty, chastity, and obedience. But that's to say that one needs to avail themselves of those means in a way that's that's good. But the, the lay state offers excellent means to holiness in the sense that like baptism and confirmation, right? So we're not saying that like the lay state is a state in the way that priesthood or religious life or marriage is, but we're saying that these sacraments give you what you need to be holy, to be a disciple, to be a missionary, to be, to be glorious for God's glory. Yeah, that glorious for God's glory. That's a great, great, um, Great line there. <laughs> we'll latch on to that. <laughs> Glorious for God's glory. So, um, one of the things that, uh, as you know, as Dominicans, that we are often found doing is recommending things to read. So, if you want that resource or are looking for a little more to read on the the church's notion and idea of what the laity is, check out um, that that. Uh, document from the Second Vatican Council, Lumen Gentium, it's chapter four. I believe it's just paragraphs 30 or 31 through like 38. It's, it's not terribly long, but is an excellent um, resource and perhaps a way to um, rekindle or revisit the, the, the necessary role of the laity as priest, prophet, and king in virtue of your baptism and how you witness and sacrifice and rule um, within, within, the, within God's kingdom. Um, so check it out if you want a little spiritual reading on on the lady. That's what we have for you today on, on the lay vocation. Um, so Father Gregory, any announcements, anything that we need to make known, make manifest in these last seconds together? Um, let's see. I'll mention some things and then you will mention other things <laughs> Perfect. with better memory. Um, so we have a retreat, which is to be held in Huntington, New York, uh, I, I said earlier in an episode in Long Island, but I was corrected because that was silly of me. It's on Long Island. So I've got to get my prepositions straight. I'm struggling with that in French. Apparently I'm also struggling with it in English. Just a little struggle bus over here. So July 23rd through 25th, Huntington, New York on Long Island. Um, it's, uh, for those who are 21 to 33, there's a little application on godsplaining.org. And um, the retreat center is currently at like half capacity, so um, we're hoping that they'll open to full capacity, but some persons might be waitlisted in the light of that. And as a result of which, you know, we just ask you to apply, hope, and persevere. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Great. Yeah, space is filling up for that retreat, so if you'd like to come fill out an application ASAP. Um, other than that, just the normal stuff. Thanks for your support. Give us a like, listen, share, whatever people do on to, to boost podcasts. We appreciate that very much. Uh, thank you to our donors. If you'd like to support Patreon, fin uh, support Godsplating financially, you can check us out on our Patreon page to do that. Our merchandise is still up and running for now, uh, probably forever, but for now it's still there. And um, that's what we have for you. So know of our prayers for you, 
please pray for us. And until next time, God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.